From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Anthony Albanese says there are people running around Canberra claiming the sky is falling. Chicken littles, he calls them, and he's accused these doomsayers of trying to whip up unfounded fears about the voice. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has reacted to the name as if it's a deeply insulting slur, but it's hardly the most charged language that's been used by a politician in recent weeks. Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Paul Bongiorno, on whether the sky is falling and whether Mark McGowan's resignation is a sign. It's Friday, June 2. So, Paul, I want to start by talking about this phrase that the Prime Minister has been using this week. He's been calling some opponents of The Voice to Parliament chicken littles. So what does he mean by that idea and and why has that become a, a talking point for Anthony Albanese? Oh, Ruby, well, Chicken Little was a kid's fairy story. I remember reading it to my own daughters um, 40-plus years ago. It's a story of a chicken who runs around saying the sky is falling based on the fact that an acorn hit him on the head. And, of course, it's become, uh, well, a metaphor for doomsaying and false alarm. And this is the point that uh, Albanese wanted to make about all the naysaying going on against the voice referendum. And he used the reference in his Loicha O'Donoghue oration given in Adelaide on Monday. Yes, there are scare campaigns. But what those campaigns have in common is that they underestimate Australians so radically. Well, Albanese said there have been claims made in Parliament that the voice could even have an effect on parking tickets. It's only a matter of time before they tell us that the voice will fade the curtains. (laughs) Albanese is confident, because Australians have an ethos of a fair go, that they won't succumb to these appeals to fear and the ever more ludicrous invitations to jump, quote, at our own shadows, unquote. That's because Australians have a healthy scepticism of doomsayers, a scepticism kept in good health by memories of all the predictions offered by the chicken littles of the past. Remember how the sky was going to fall in after the apology. Please enjoy the sky as you head back out today. Still safely in place. Well, Peter Dutton uh, accused the Prime Minister of name-calling and of uh, suggesting that he, Peter Dutton, uh, was a racist, which he says is completely unacceptable. But, you know, I think this was a weak distraction from the enormous controversy that Dutton had, in fact, created around his own arguments. Albanese wasn't put off by this uh, admonition from his opponent. Every time that we've done uh, an action uh, towards reconciliation with Aboriginal Australians, there has been uh, declarations that it would lead to all sort of consequences which, of course, haven't been true. The Prime Minister cited that when Kevin Rudd gave the apology to the stolen generations, we were told there would be catastrophic consequences. And, of course, there weren't. He said that the apology was a uniting moment for the nation. And so will 
recognising Aboriginal Australians in our nation's constitution. And he said, uh, referring back to the landmark Mabo decision in 1992, which once the High Court rejected the lie of terra nullius, you know, the Australian continent was empty when Captain Cook got here. Well, Paul Keating had to put that uh, decision into law and people were running around saying that the Mabo decision means that people will lose their houses and their backyard swimming pools. I remember it well. Uh, Of course, as Albanese said, it was all nonsense. Mm. Right, so this is Albanese really taking Dutton on then over the voice to Parliament. He's accusing Dutton of running a scare campaign. So is Dutton doubling down? What is he saying? Because only a week ago you and I were talking about some of the things that he was saying in Parliament, claiming it would re-racialise Australia? Well, look, it does seem that uh, there's been something of a rethink, although I wouldn't put all my money on that. I think that Peter Dutton's put this argument out there in the hope that it'll keep uh, percolating, but it has discomforted his coalition allies in the National Party. Well, I understand the intent, but what we want to make sure is the tone. David Littleproud, the leader of the Nationals, well, he doesn't support the use of the word re-racialise and the Nationals will be the main authors of the official No pamphlet. That's the 2,000-word essay that will be posted out to 14 million Australian households a couple of weeks before the referendum vote. I'm not challenging his intent. I'm just, the the wording is, is important that we set the tone as political leaders. And Ruby, I'm told that there are other uh, Liberals, not only the Nationals, who weren't too happy with uh, Peter Dutton's pursuing this uh, line of argument at least every other day. Mm. And so how would you say, Paul, that this is all reverberating? How is it all landing outside the Chambers of Parliament right now? When it comes to the Yes campaign, do you get the sense that there is worry or fear or is there a regathering of force? Should we expect a, a reinvigoration of the courts? Well, we're getting to the business end of the referendum process. Uh, This week in the Parliament, uh, we saw overwhelming support for the enabling legislation. Um, Most of the Liberals uh, joined the crossbench and Labor in the House of Representatives to waive the enabling legislation through. Uh, The Nationals, well, they uh, all voted against it. There's a bit of technicality here. By doing that, they attract then uh, the ability to write the official no campaign pamphlet. Uh, as we've been saying. But there are some Labor high flyers that are a bit worried about the way the Yes campaign to date has been uh, mounted. They're also a little bit worried that while there's no doubt that Albanese has passion and conviction, it's a bit like um, the British political sitcom, you might remember, Yes Minister, where whenever the senior public servant told the Prime Minister that he was being courageous, what he was also telling him was that this was foolhardy and doomed to failure. Well, Albanese, well, he'll have none of it. In fact, talking to one of Albanese's um, closest confidants, he's fuming at what he calls the the hand ringers and the bedwetters. He told me that people do want prime ministers that are leaders of conviction, and that's exactly what they're getting in Albanese, a prime minister with conviction prepared to lead. And Ruby, you might remember that John Howard, one of our longest serving prime ministers, he himself used to put down his success in no small way to the perception that he too uh, was a leader that stood by his convictions. And we saw that there was no stepping back uh, from Albanese or the government in Parliament this week. 
The Albanese government rejected a suggestion from Julian Lisa, a Liberal who supports the yes vote, but thought that changing the formula, which in fact could weaken the voice, may win more Conservatives. Well, they rejected that, and Albanese is standing by the undertaking that he gave to the dying Aboriginal leader, Unapingu, that he would get this done. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy on yeah, this. Yeah, if, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Right, thank you so much for coming at such short notice. Today I'm announcing that I'll be stepping down as Premier and as Member for Rockingham. I was elected as Premier of Western Australia in March 2017, more than six years ago now. Paul, this week the highly popular Labor Premier of Western Australia resigned. It was a huge surprise, particularly given his notoriously high approval ratings. So what impact does his resignation have on the Federal Party and on the Prime Minister? But the truth is I'm tired, extremely tired. In fact, I'm exhausted. The role of political leadership doesn't stop. It's relentless. Well, it's a very good question. A lot of people are wondering about it because there is no doubt that the enduringly popular and dominant state premier, you might remember McGowan is Australia's most popular state premier, and at one stage had 90% approval in that state. And Albanese and federal Labor leveraged off this popularity in Western Australia to win four seats and majority government there. Well, in caucus on Tuesday, Albanese brushed aside concerns that the sudden resignation of the Premier uh, would be a blow for federal Labor. Well, nobody has any doubts, as I was saying, about the role McGowan did play in the federal election campaign. Labor uh, launched in Perth and uh, Albanese shared the platform, the stage with uh, McGowan. And he told Perth Radio that He's already visited WA 12 times. That's more than uh, Morrison ever managed when he was Prime Minister. He's held a cabinet meeting there and he'll hold another one. And in caucus, Albanese says that Labor's going to try and win two more marginal seats from the Liberals at the next federal election. Mm. And McGowan's time, it wasn't without controversy. His popularity really allowed him to push through a lot of things like massive new gas developments without a lot of public scrutiny. So as he leaves, what happens to WA Labor? Well, Ruby, don't forget that McGowan was, as his successor will be, the Premier of Western Australia, uh, you know, the big resource state. And I'm sure that his successor, who's certainly going to be Roger Cook, who was the Deputy Premier, 
the economic transition happening on the Strip is at the epicentre of WA's shift to renewable energy. I want this transition to renewable energy to be good for the environment, but also to be good for the economy and for WA jobs. They see that fossil fuels have a future in the transition to renewables and um, McGowan and I'm sure the government of Cook, um, they will continue to uh, develop renewable energy and a hydrogen uh, industry uh, in Western Australia. I'm ready to lead. I'm ready to be Premier. I'm born and bred West Australian. This is the state where I've lived my entire life. It is where I've raised my children. I've devoted my life to serving this state, to do everything possible to ensure WA is prosperous for everyone. And I was speaking to a WA Labor strategist who in fact says that Cook is closer to Albanese in policy agenda terms. And uh, he sees the transition to a new Premier as a positive rather than a negative for federal Labor. And just finally, Paul, this week has also seen some particularly interesting and combative exchanges in Senate estimates. The Greens in particular have been hammering bureaucrats over the relationship of government departments with PwC and RENT and HEX. So just how impactful do you think that questioning has been and does it raise issues that this Labor government is going to have to respond to? Well, there's a couple of issues there, Ruby. Uh, on the issue of PwC, there's no doubt the work done by the Financial Review in revealing the way in which uh, uh, the Australian government's trust on tax reform was betrayed by this uh, major accounting firm uh, was built on by the work of two very effective senators, Labor's Deb O'Neill and uh, the Greens' Barbara Pocock. Pocock's an interesting person. She's got a PhD, she's an economist, and she used to work for the Reserve Bank. Well, she took the gloves off in questioning the uh, public servants from Treasury and Finance. Both of these women have been relentless pursuing PwC. On the other issue, it's the Greens that have been running hardest on uh, the raising of uh, student loans. There'll be a 7% uh, rise uh, in the cost of uh, repaying uh, student loans thanks to indexation. They've been urging the government to freeze this, uh, to, to offer some relief. And so far, the government is resisting it. There is some political danger in that because, as we know, that while younger, particularly educated Australians tend to support the Greens, they also tend to support Labor. So Labor, you would think, wouldn't want to antagonise this very important uh, voting demographic. Uh, I think it was Malcolm Fraser as Prime Minister all those years ago that said life wasn't meant to be easy. And I think as the Albanese government is finding, it's not all that easy being in government. Paul, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you, Ruby. Bye. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Memento. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today... 
News reports that Ben Robert Smith was a war criminal and a bully who was involved in the killing of unarmed Afghan civilians were proven by substantial evidence, according to a judgment handed down by Justice Anthony Basenko. The judgment dismissed the three defamation actions against nine newspapers, finding the papers have proven the truth of most of the defamatory imputations. Now's the time for the nation and the Defence Force to absorb what the judge has found. The full findings will be released in due course. Uh, What is clear is Ben Robert Smith is a liar. Investigative reporter Nick McKenzie, who was named in the action by Ben Robert Smith, alongside his colleague Chris Masters, spoke outside court yesterday, calling the verdict a small measure of justice for Afghan civilians. There's justice for the Afghan villagers who stood up in court, like the SAS soldiers who implicated Ben Robert Smith in war crimes. The Afghan villagers who stood up in court on Ben Robert Smith's instructions were mocked, belittled by Ben Robert Smith's counsel. They too have been found to have spoken the truth. 7am is a daily show from the Monthly and the Saturday Paper. It's produced by Cara Jensen-McKinnon, Zoltan Fetcho, Shane Anderson, Yo Chung and Chris Denke. Our technical producer is Atticus Basto. Our editor is Scott Mitchell. Sarah McVie is our head of audio. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Mixing by Andy Elston, Travis Evans and Atticus Basto. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you next week. I have one pick up, Paul, and this is very funny, but in all seriousness, I think we need another take of Chicken Little because the important bit is Chicken Little's a doomsdayer because he gets hit on the head by an acorn. So I think we need to sort of explain that the the analogy is that Peter Dutton's taking something that's not very doomsday at all and making a big deal out of it. So, Well, can I beg to differ from this point of view? <laughs> this is my kind of... Controversy. Go, go, go. Yeah. I love it. No, 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 no I've got to say this to you. That I-